All right, we are live. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Issues of Life, the podcast. And our two co-hosts are not here today. Um, Butch Ford, we miss you, okay? So please, please, please come back. We miss you very much. And Lady Todd, I know that you are on your way. And we have a special guest, Miss Wushan Long. Hello, hello, hello. Hi, how are you? Good. And now we have Lady Todd. Thank you for inviting me. You're welcome. Hey, Hey, Lady Todd. What's up? What's going on, Shelly Dew and Rushan Long, baby? Hey, how how you doing? doing? I'm fine. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. So we usually like to. Hey. We usually like to. Lessons in how to how to add your hair when you need to. Okay. We usually like to start off with a not so current event, um, but since things are going on right now, we're going to stick to a couple of current events. And one is from a Vanity Fair article <laughs> entitled Building People Power. It is Building People Power, Nikita Oliver on Seattle's Extraordinary Protest and What Comes Next. The activist and formal mayoral candidate has been an integral part of protests that led to the creation of a seven block police-free autonomous zone in central Seattle neighborhood, whether Trump likes it or not. And I quote, it says, in Seattle, as in nearly every major city in America, protesters clashed with police for over a week in early June, demanding protests for George Floyd and other victims of racial violence and police brutality. But what happened next is still happening was completely different. On Monday, the police effectively abandoned the area surrounding the East Precinct Police Station, allowing protesters to establish a seven block area they are calling the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone, known as CHAZ. Within that space, protests are going, are ongoing, but so are history lectures, art exhibits, movie nights, Ava DuVernay's 13th was screened Tuesday, concerts, town hall meetings, and street art. There is no formal leadership of the Seattle protests, but among the most prominent figures is Nikita Oliver, who ran for mayor in 2017 and was the first candidate of the independent Seattle's People's Party. She is also the co-director of the Creative Justice Northwest Program, and Oliver has been busy organizing protests, facilitating communication among the various groups and getting down to the autonomous zone when she can, which sometimes means at 3 a.m., unquote. So basically, I want to ask you, during all these protests in March, what comes next? What do you believe comes next, Ms. Long? It's a lot to come next. And I think that's the question that everybody is asking. Uh, You know, Oprah had a two-part series on where do we go from here? But that's also the question we're all asking, uh, because it's more than just police brutality. You also have we need economic reform. We need education reform and we need police reform. So it would take all of us to try and figure out where do we go from here? Which one of those areas that you may want to work with or work towards putting your um your mouth, putting your voice out to be heard, to uh, approach your elected officials, 
of people in your neighborhood, the school system, and say, how can I help? You know, people are throwing a vast amount of money out. So I think as individuals and as groups, we have to decide and say, where do we want to start? You need to get involved. Um, it's a lot of organizations out here that have been in existence before and continue to be in existence. New ones starting up. I'm impressed with the young people that's involved. Multiracial, multi-ethnic ethnic groups. So I would say start looking and see um, who's doing what and what you're interested in. So Lady Ty, I'm going to ask you, what comes next? Next is that I think you need to start at home and in the neighborhood in which you reside. Because if you cannot come together with the people that you live in the community for and with, it's going to be hard to go even further. And my, I'm saddened that it took George Floyd's life for any everybody to wake up. It shouldn't, have, it shouldn't have taken so long. And even when last year I said we were more powerful as a community and as a race when we had less. And when you have more, you tend to branch out and do things by yourself. But when you have less, you tend to depend on each other to get things done as a community and as a group. So it's where do we go next? Only thing that I think we just have to start at home and within the community in which you reside. Because me growing up, um, I knew the kids in the neighborhood. The parents knew one another. They communicated and they didn't even have a block club. They just cared. They just loved on each other, loved on each other's kids. We don't have that now. Everybody is about themselves. They're narcissistic. It's about me, me, and me. And if you see somebody else is in need, even across the street, you see people mowing their lawns and the next door neighbor and the, and the person across the street, their lawn is, is high as trees and you won't even go over there and mow the lawn. Something just as simple as that will make a difference. I totally agree with you. Um, and then also we have another article. It's entitled Protests and Racism. How can you help communities get back on their feet? And this was um, a CNN article on June 11th. It says, and I quote, George Floyd, a 46-year-old unarmed man, black man, was killed while in police custody in Minneapolis on May 25th. His final moments were captured on a camera, sending citizens reeling from another unnecessary death of a black man in America. And then it goes on to say, here's a look ways you can help cities, including Minneapolis. And some of the initiatives are the Hamline Midway Coalition and Union Park District Council. They have organized volunteers and provided supplies to the clean, cleanup effort. The We Love Lake Street to help rebuild small businesses in that Minneapolis community. The Neighborhoods United Funding Collaborative is also helping small businesses in the Midway and Union Park area rebuild their storefront. And the article also talks about how you can support nonprofits working to bring equality. And I quote, racism in the U.S. is a public health issue, according to several medical groups. You can stand up for racial justice by supporting nonprofits working to eradicate racism. The article also states, 
some of the initiatives that's taking place, which is facing history and ourselves, which equips educators to teach tolerance in classrooms through the study of history and ethical decision-making. The Let Us Breathe Fund was created in the wake of the murder of Eric Garner. The group grants money to minorities, nonprofits to fight structural violence and racism in New York. The Black Youth Project 100 is a national organization working toward racial justice through direct action, organizing advocacy and political education, unquote. And today we're gonna to talk about what's going on in Detroit and how we can make a difference. But before we do that, I would love for Miss Long to introduce herself. I can read from a piece of paper and tell you about her, but I want you to tell the world yourself, who are you and what do you do in Detroit? Who am I? I'm Rushan Long. I'm a lifelong Detroit resident. I'm a black woman. I have, I'm married. I have four adult children, five grandsons. And for nearly, well, 36 years, I worked for the state of Michigan. Wasn't my idea to work for the state of Michigan. I got laid off from another job I didn't like during a recession. That was the auto factories, which was, quote, unquote, a good job. Came to the state of Michigan, said I was going to stay one year. I hated it. I didn't want to be in the office. But in that one year, I learned that I love to help people. So that was a job for me. Yeah, it had its ups and downs. But overall, God opened so many doors through so many people that I was able to get into a position when I can affect change and how we serviced our clients. And I always told people, you one paycheck from the other side of that desk. I know because I was a client also. So that one year turned into 36 and before you knew it, I couldn't believe the time had passed. So then I became, in that time, I also love to feed people. I like to eat. And I like to feed people. When people are eating good food, they are happy. And I like to see people happy. So I like to feed people. After I left the state, I didn't have all those people in the office to feed. So I started feeding them from my house. I would take food to different offices. And again, you all like to eat. I work with both of you. And so that helped me for a while. It occupied me for a while. But I also wonder, what do you do with the rest of your life? After about 18 months of being retired, I was bored. I said, this could not be all it is. I started to look around in my community and wonder, what, what, did I go to sleep and wake up? Because it looked like it had been bombed out in some areas. This was a beautiful, older community in the city of Detroit that lasted through a lot of the other uh, communities that had ex uh, had had a lot of the scrapping of the houses, I call it raping of the houses. They raped these houses and they tore these neighborhoods apart. But I didn't know mine had been uh, ravaged too due to the housing crash. People moved out, left these houses vacant. City did not board them up. Neighbors couldn't do anything about them. And I began to ask where is the money from the hardest hit fund that President Obama sent? And one of the things I want to say about this, people have seen lately, I've heard some younger black people say, 
Obama didn't do very much for black folks or he should have done more. I, I challenged them to look up and see what he did and what did you think he could do when we failed to go out and vote for Congress two years later that would have given him the opportunity to have support. Congress told him from day one, we're not supporting anything you do and we're, not, we're gonna make sure you're a one-term president. But what he did do, he saved the auto companies and a lot of us came from those companies. This city was built on that. He gave us a stimulus package. This is not the first check you got from the government. He sent money to Detroit to tear down these homes. And that's how I got involved. I wanted to know where was my neighborhood's money? Well, I found out quickly, my area is not deemed hardest hit. Although I had a, three blocks with 44 vacant houses where most of them could not be repaired. But that started me on another quest of becoming a community activist. And now they have a new term for us as social entrepreneurs. So that's how I got involved. So I'll stop there, Michelle, in case you have any other questions. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to say how I met you, Ms. Long. Um, let's see. I was about um, eight years old. You're like a sister to my aunt. And she worked at the state also. And um, I always felt that you are a beautiful individual. You're always giving from your heart. You're always looking out for others. And you make the best peach cobbler in the whole wide world, okay? So if you want somebody to make a peach cobbler for you, okay, uh, contact Ms. Long. And uh, it's funny because throughout the years, I started working for the state and you became my big boss. And I always knew you as Miss Sweet, you know, beautiful, long. And one day I got in trouble, okay? I came back from lunch late and I was speeding through the parking lot. And you like gave me this speech, like um, I have a dream speech, like you blah, 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 you know, that was wrong. And my feelings was hurt because my auntie Miss Long got on my case. So all I can say, you are a powerful force um, on the workplace, you were about change. You build up the morale in the workplace. Um, if it was days where people just feeling down, you took the time out to say, hey, what's going on? How are you doing? Um, so you not only empower people outside the community, but within the workplace, which is also missing as well. So I just want to thank you for being just a wonderful and beautiful person in my life since eight until now, which is 40 <clears throat> years old. So I just want to thank you for that. Thank you so much. Thank you. Now, and you're right. I, re I remember that day. And you let, me know I hurt, you let me know I hurt your feelings. <laughs> and it wasn't to hurt your feelings, but I know what could happen because anything could happen in a small parking lot and somebody going that fast. And you know, I never took y'all time for being late anyway, so. No, you did <laughs> No, you did not. But, um, so what are you doing right now in the community? I know um, you're very involved with the census, so tell me about your role in the census. Okay, I applied in 2010 to work the census. Mm -hmm. uh, my daughter gave me a sign a uh, thing for my desk to say my middle name is Hustle. And my dad always said you can always make get a hustle. You can have a legal hustle 
and make that extra money. So I signed up to do the census in 2010 and I really enjoyed it. Uh, you took a test, they told you what position and I was a recruiter. I was to recruit people to come take the test, get a test and encourage them to apply because these are good jobs, good pay. You were self-sufficient out there in the, in, in the community. You could work as many hours as you wanted. You made your own schedule. So, and most times it was not, it was not budgetable for people who was on public assistance. That was another plus. So I did that and I really enjoyed it. And I did enjoy those checks that enter my direct deposit every other week. So I said this year I had planned to work for the census again. I did put the test in. I was fingerprinted. And then here come coronavirus and COVID-19. So, but that does not stop us from putting that census in. What I learned from working at the census is how important it is for us to be counted. Those are federal dollars that come into our community when we say how many people live here. I know people have historically been afraid. You don't want to tell people your business. But at any time we don't do this for every person we don't count, that's $30,000 that the city of Detroit loses for that one person in services, which include food assistance, if you get medical assistance, if the roads that you drive on, the schools that your children attend. It's a, it's a multitude of areas that the federal government gives states back and cities back because of the population that lives here. So when you don't put your census in, the people that live in the surrounding areas who might not need these extra benefits, they get your dollar. So you work hard, you pay your taxes, and then you let somebody else in another community get your dollar. And I would challenge you, and this has always amazed me, and I cannot answer, I don't have an answer to this. If you look at a Detroit public school and you go to these surrounding, right around Detroit uh, suburbs, and you look at their public school, why they kids go to schools that's looking way better than what your kids go to? And why don't we have schools in our neighborhood? Our kids have to be bussed out. They can't walk to school. They can't be part of the community. That's because we give our power and our money away. So if nothing else, your the grandparents, parents, you should be trying to fill out this census so your children get the education that they deserve within the city of Detroit. So that's my um, soapbox on the census. You can go on DetroitMI.gov and it's a link where you can go right in and complete your census form. Did everybody complete their census? So it's, they have a challenge right now in the city of Detroit. It's called 20 for 20. You contact 20 people you know and ask them to complete the census. It is less than 10 minutes to do. You don't have to find that paper that you threw away. You don't have to ask no questions. Just hit that link. And then you ask those 20 people to contact 20 people they know. We should not be in last place in the city of Detroit and let our dollars flow out. Money is power, and we need to regain our power within the city of Detroit. 
So I have another question for you also. You work with the Joe Louis Greenway path. Yes. Is that correct? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Okay, the Joe Louis Greenway path is a 35.9, I think it was 39.5 mile uh, walking and biking trail and running trail that will go around the city of Detroit. If anybody has been down to um, the Dequinder Cut, that's a small version of what this will be. This is an exciting time for Detroit. This is going to bring development, retail, rehab in these communities that until this time, like our neighborhood, we're one of the forgotten neighborhoods of the city. We live on the outskirts. We're not by the water. We're not downtown. We're not midtown. We're not Corktown. We the west side. So this happens to be coming right a block from my house. It will circle the city. And this is going to be the future, not just in Detroit. It's in Atlanta, has the Atlanta Beltway. It's a it's a pathway or a beltway in Chicago, Indiana. This is the future. It's anticipated that people will not be using vehicles like we do now. This pathway will go through neighborhoods and the neighborhoods that it's going through and the residents in the city of Detroit, you need to be sitting at the table so you can say what you want in your neighborhood and what this is bringing to your neighborhood and to make sure you are not moved out of your neighborhood through gentrification. Developers will come once we recover from this COVID, and I have the distinct pleasure to have been asked to be on the Citizens Advisory Council for the Joe Louis Greenway path for my district. I live in District 6. Everybody in Detroit should know what district you live in, who your council person is, and what resources they have for you. So I have had the opportunity to go see the Atlanta uh, Beltway and what it has done for the city of Atlanta. It revitalized 45 communities, and a lot of them were what we call legacy. This is my community. It's a legacy community. It's been Black a long time, and we have a lot of super seniors that still live, live here, 80 and 90 years old. It will revitalize your community, but you have to be the one at the table. So I tell you to go online again, the city website, and look up the Joe Louis Greenway path. In that what we did in our community, and I know you probably can't see this, but we created uh, a brochure, not just waiting for the city to say what's going on here, but we also, as a group, we got together and we're calling, we, we are the Greenway Heritage Conservancy. And I asked you to go on Facebook and friend us or request to be friends. We have a lot of information on there. But what we decided to do is become a nonprofit to make sure that we secure our neighborhood, but also to work closely with the city so that we can get a lot of the things that we want on this on this pathway. So we did we did a tour. We have a tour and we have a brochure and we invited the city and other nonprofits and residents to come out and let us show you our neighborhood. I don't want you to just see the blight. That's not all we are. It's a lot of value still in these communities. I want you to see it how we see it. 
I want you to see the positive things that people do that live in the community that I live in and in the city of Detroit that I live in. So we did a tour. We take anybody out. We give you homemade cookies. I make them myself. But we show oh, you. You got homemade cookies? Yeah, we make homemade oh, you cookies. You got some left? I'm on my way. We got brochures, and we give you a brochure and a cookie. I want brochure <laughs> and a cookie. I'll be there next week. So I'm, I'm, I'm just saying, everybody, look it up. Make sure that if it's coming through your community, make sure that you are asking people, your district manager, uh, your council person, what can you do and how can you be part of this design for the Joe Lewis Greenway path? I am so proud of you, Ms. Long. You are, you are just about, a phenomenal. Let me, let me make this clear. I don't do this by myself. I'm the ham mm -hmm. that can get in front of the camera, but it's so many, it's at least five people over here. It's a lot more, but it's five that is truly committed. And yes. I had to get them credit because you want to give up, but they will not let me get up. Give up. One one of the younger people call us the Supremes, and we say plus one. But we all decided and didn't know. We all decided to stay in the homes that our parents purchased. And we said they worked hard for these homes. And we shouldn't just have to walk away with nothing. So we decided to stay and keep it up. And we committed to the community and the people that live here. These were good communities in the city of Detroit, and there's still good people here. So that's how we got together. And anybody could get together. We help anybody. We find help. Other people, can you help us? We, I knew nothing about this kind of stuff. But as you go along, you will run into people who could help you. I had to give credit to my council person because she's the first person I approached about their hardest hit funds. And she's the first person that slapped me in the face and said, no money for your neighborhood. But she worked with me to show me what else was out here, who to connect to, get a block club. I told her, I just told you it's 44 vacant houses, what block club? She said, no, it's something in your neighborhood. It was Midwest Civic Council Block Club. I joined that group. They helped me along because like I said, it's people that have been in this block club for 50 years and they still on the course. And those that I call my super seniors, that became the fight that how can I clean up around their houses? How can we get something torn down around their houses? That evolved because then you start meeting people. We It's a community meeting, charter meetings by the council. They charter meetings. That means they're, no, they're not charter meetings. There are meetings that's required by the city charter. They go to each district your council people and hold meetings. You get a chance to speak. Say your piece. Then the mayor has one that he has to go through. So in the beginning, I, you know, I used to kind of try to harass the mayor. But then I found out he's still going to be the mayor. So I got to learn how to work with him and not against him. So get engaged and you learn these things and people begin to remember you. And when some resources become available, grant money, loans, uh, my council person, she got some of the best staff ever, ever, and they work with us and they keep us informed of everything going on in the city. So I just, uh, again, encourage people. These, This is where you live. 
Nobody is coming to fix up your house but you. Nobody going to clean your yard up but you. Nobody going to care about you like you can. So remember that. That's and right. We're waiting for people to come save you because they're too That's busy right. saving themselves. That's right. So, Miss Long, I have a question. How do you find out what district you live in and who your council person is? Because um, some people just say, well, I don't know and I don't care. So how do you encourage people to find out and where do you go to find out this information? You go to DetroitMI.gov. And when you get on that page, you can type in the search box, district managers. You can also type in council member. You can also type in, you want to see the city map of districts. It will show you, you can look, it's color-coded. It will show you where you live, and it'll be a big number in your area, and that's your district number. It's one through seven, and you will find out through there. If you can't find it, it's a phone number on there. Call somebody. If they still can't find it, call Michelle, and I'll find it for you. Okay. <laughs> oh, so um, I also wanted to say, somebody said it on here, Vince 313 said, you're the hardest working woman in Detroit, which you are, because I was watching the news, not once, but twice, and I was like, that's Auntie Miss Long on the news. So um, can you tell us why you're on the news? I know one reason it was about abandoned cars in the area, if I'm not mistaken. What, what was going on? Good. Well, it, like I told you, I used to harass the mayor. But then that particular time, I got a call from the mayor's office and said, would you mind if the news came out and interviewed you about the auto places? Because we have been fighting in this community while we were sleeping. We were not watching who was moving into our community. We've always had business in this community. Actually, the street I live on is zoned for residential and business, but they were always good business. They were good neighbors. They kept it clean. It was no problem. But you know, as things went on, these, fact these small factories was vacated, small businesses was vacated. And like I said, I was sleeping on the job. We were other people began to buy in our neighborhood and the majority of them in a 1.1 square mile radius we have at least 36 auto supposedly auto repair auto dismantler auto uh used car sales places they bring in junk in our community demolished cars we have tires everywhere auto parts they keep their facilities nasty and they, they're doing illegal activity, not stealing, I mean, they violating ordinances. Oh. And one of them was painting cars within the building without a paint booth. That's illegal. So the people that live around there for the next few blocks, they could smell those paint fumes in their home. So not only are they doing this, it's environmental terrorism. And they don't care about the fluids that they putting in the soil or what they putting down the drain in our water system. One man approached that comp that owner and said, you know, that's illegal. He said, what you care? Troy nasty anyway. Now, I don't care about your ethnic group. I respect people, but you're going to respect me too. I live here. They don't live here. You didn't ask us. 
you litter these streets with cars, you pull them out. They, I don't know why you buying them. You buying them for some reason and you pulling parts off and I guess you shipping them. But you lead this mess in our community. You're not part of our community. You're part of our problem. So we feel like we have way too many for 1.1 square miles. So that's what started it with our community. So the mayor called because he was he put in a moratorium. No more new license for used car places and these dismantlers until the city had a chance to look at his ordinances and look at what it was approving. And so that's why I ended up on the news that day. And they are, and I'm gonna tell you, um, like I said, if you get to know people, BC Building Services with the city of Detroit has worked with us very closely for the last three years. Um, they just can't come out and shut somebody down. They got rules and regulations they have to follow too. But they have been constantly, every time we reach out, they come out, they look at these um, buildings, they put citations on, they give them tickets, they close them down for however long they can until they get into the court system. So our charge now is we don't want another one. We got too many. So that's why I ended up on the news and you had to keep on top of it. What I didn't realize, I was looking at my community. I didn't know that this was a problem throughout the city of Detroit. We were asleep while other people came and bought valuable property. And we did not realize that we are letting the city go. The ownership of the city. We need to get together in groups put our money together, become investment groups, and buy back some of these things that belonged to us before. So that's why I was on the news that time. Like you said, it's been many, and I always make sure I put lipstick on before I get on camera. <laughs> <laughs> now, Lady Todd, though, I asked 50,000 questions. So Lady Todd, would you like to ask Ms. Long a question? Actually, you all covered everything because community is a family. And if you take care of your immediate family, then you're going to care about the community, your community family as well. And I have to commend you, Miss um, Long, because like you said, you and a, a couple of other um, neighbors decided to stay. You know, a lot of times people think moving in bigger houses or in a certain suburban area or what you wear or designer clothes makes you as a person but it's your heart, it's how you care about the world that you live in, how you care about the neighbor next door, how you care about yourself as an individual. That's the genuine, that's the richness, you know, because like I tell people, it's a lot of dead rich people that I do know and didn't make a difference. But somebody, the, the lady down the street that you didn't know her name, but yet you remember what that person did to you at growing up. That's priceless. Yes. And how do you go about trying to advocate or try to be friendly with neighbors that don't seem to get it or don't seem to care as much, but they live in the community? Have you ever had encounters with that? And how, how did you deal with it? Yes. Up until COVID, uh, like I said, I, I became part of the Midwest Civic Council Block Clubs, and we were challenged at that time by the, that president, Kat, she challenged us to go out into the 
community and make a list of all the houses that we thought needed to be torn down. So some months passed and she said, well, what have y'all done? I said, well, you didn't tell us to go yet. She said, you were supposed to already go. So that started going door to door. People see you out there. They wonder what you're doing. That gives you an opportunity to talk to them. That gives you an opportunity to tell them not only why you're there, why you feel you should be there. And if they might have a problem, if you have a resource, what you could give them. Uh, in the state, at the state, I learned uh, back in that day, they taught you um, about human conditions, human problems, and how to solve them, and to be compassionate, uh, be empathetic. Those were things that were on our rating scale, but I know they don't teach you that anymore, but uh, I learned it from there. And then when you go out into the community, we are just people. And a lot of times people would be glad to see us out there, hoping that they could get something done. We did have, we have had some successes. So what you do is tell people, you try to get them involved in the block club, but that's not for everybody. But when you do, when you are able to do something, you go out and you do it. And when people see that, they start to believe you. It's hard for people to believe. People have not seen things done in the city of Detroit for 20 or 30 years. So they catch, they say, well, what you keep coming around? Ain't nobody coming over here. So, but it takes some visual sometime and not to give up. We had, like I said, the super seniors. It was a, it's been a couple of the super seniors, even though we did not get funding over here for demolition, but they had houses next to them or across the street that needed to be torn down. And every time I got a chance to go to one of those council meet those meetings. I even would take big pictures of the house and have somebody hold it up while I talk to the council. Why should our kids have to walk past these burnouts to go to school? Why should our seniors have to live in houses that look like this before they go to glory? They paid their dues. So eventually I got a couple of people's ear. So one I got a couple of those they took out in the old burnt up apartment building had been there for 10 or 15 years. They took it out. The guy that was over that, I won't give his name because I don't know if that's still his job. Another person challenged him. They said, and they worked for the city. They said, ask him what he got to look at, look like, look at when he get up in the morning. Do he have to look at that? And the person said, you know what? I hate you, but I'm going to take your pictures. He was talking about his co-worker. He said, I'm going to put your pictures up and I'm going to look at them every day until I get this down. And he got it down. It was two horrible places that kids had to go past to go to school, to wait for the bus to go to school. Then it was another person who had a house next to them. The city had it as a side lot. It was another a couple... There's a super senior side lot. Well, the side lot got a house on it. And the city kept saying, ain't no house on it. I said, it is. I'm looking at the house. They came to a meeting. We went back and forth with this. They came to one of the meetings where the mayor was in attendance. Their daughter got up and explained the, the dilemma and how we have been trying to fight to get it. And the, the mayor promised them, I'm going to get that house down. That house is gone. So you can affect change, but, and if people see you, 
they are appreciative and they feel better because these this, this community raised us. The church that I go to raised us. That church was raised, built by people who lived in this community. So they taught us those things, Tom, and you carry that with you. One manager once told me she was going to kick me out of my comfort seat. I didn't even know her. I was like, I'm not taking another test with the state of Michigan. I was the first line supervisor. She said, oh, I'm kicking you out that chair. She opened doors for me. And she said I, she was, she was, she was, it was her duty because somebody opened the door for her. She stood on somebody's shoulders. So she had to make sure somebody stood on hers. And she taught us, now you have to lift up somebody behind you. So you learn those things. And that don't stop just because you retire. That's what happens when you go out into the neighborhood. You do the best you can. And people know that. And they appreciate it. A lot of times we just stop talking to each other. Like you said, we all talk to each other. We don't say hello. People's head is down in what they call social media. I call it them. I know my kids watching anti-social media. That ain't real. Those not real people. Most of y'all ain't telling the truth. Everybody got issues. Most of y'all ain't telling the truth. And mostly everybody got a problem. Ain't none of us perfect. We don't. We ain't got everything we claim we got. And if you do have it, then you ain't got no money. Because it takes something to pay for it. But all of that, you like better. Tom said, okay. Walk easy now you ain't long. taking Walk that easy. with you. You ain't taking it with you. It is so easy just to smile at somebody and say hello. I know we got issues in the community, but we got more good than we got bad. But all the news tell you is that what we are, which is not the truth, just like it's black on black crime, it's white on white crime, it's Asian on Asian crime. You commit a crime where you live. It's not, we are not a group of bad people. We have come a long way off people of black folks coming from slavery to now. And so now you still got to work to get what you want. And but on the way, well, my mama always told me, you better try to be happy. Be happy at what you're trying to do. Work might not be what you want, but that paycheck may get you what you like. So that's how you got to look at it. And wherever you go on a job, whether you go in the community, be true to thy own self. You don't let nobody change you. You don't have to be bitter. You don't have to be angry for no reason. But we all got some problems that we scared to tell anybody about. We don't have somebody to talk to sometimes like we used to have in these communities. We have older people in our families and communities that you would go talk to for some wisdom, for some guidance, for some understanding, for somebody just sometime to put their arm around you because the world and that was too much for you right then. If you go out of these houses after after coronavirus, start talking and speaking to your neighbor. It ain't going to hurt you. Yeah, some of y'all got a horrible neighbor. 
Don't talk to that one. Talk to the one on the other side. But as long as you go out here and you present yourself honestly, most times you are not going to have a problem. question um is you mentioned something about how some people feel detroit is going to stay the same there are no changes and in a i know they focus on downtown a lot and the progress that's going on downtown and then when you drive in the neighborhoods you see the blight that's taking place and for people that live in neighborhoods where they're maybe not be investing money how do you tell others who, who might live in those neighborhoods that you know need dollars poured into their neighborhood how do you tell them to stay hopeful? How do you how do you stay hopeful during during those times? Okay, one thing, try to find out what's going on in your community. And one way to do that, like I said, is to attend a, a community meeting. Um, it's a lot of people working in these communities that you never see. Um, so either go to a meeting, find out if it's a block club, you can get that information too from your uh council person. They take a list and have a listing of all the block clubs, all the community, all the community organizations. So go to one of the meetings and listen and see what's going on. Challenge your council person and ask them what you're doing in my community. You also each district also has a district manager by the city of Detroit. Find out from them what's going on in your community. You just have to keep calling them like. And just say, this is what I need. What can you do for me? Where where, do, where should I go? Who can I talk to? How can I get resources? What's, your, what's the city plan for my neighborhood? They have plans. They might not always tell you the first time or the 10th time or the 100th time, but if, pretty soon they get sick of you. And I used to tell them, if you're not the person I need to talk to, then tell me who I should bug and I will move on. So you just had to make an effort. And if you can't find anybody, become your own person. Get one other person. If you go out there, you will find at least one or two other people that's committed. Now, you're going to get discouraged, like I said, because you don't get people involved because they don't believe nothing going to happen. But you have to believe if you're going to stay there, try to get you some resources. Try to find a group that will, it's a lot of groups out here that will help you organize, help you get those grants, help you find funding, help do a cleanup. Whatever it is you need, it's people out here that will help. And for people who believe Detroit ain't coming back, the only thing that has stopped us right now, and this has stopped the state too, in a lot of states, that coronavirus, the economic devastation from this is more than you can imagine. I think the mayor said, I don't know if it was a week or a day, he said the city is losing $600,000 in taxes, money that it gets from the casino, either every week or every day. That's a lot of money. All the plans probably was, a lot of the plans was based on that money. So things might be cut right now, but it will come back as soon as that casino opened, Y'all don't care about coronavirus. Y'all going to be right back in that casino. So they going to get their money back. They're going to get your stimulus and some. But anyway, just be prepared and find out and ask, what's your plan for your neighborhood? And what can you do to help bring some resources there? Because this city is valuable. 
when you have a body of fresh water that's sitting right there on your banks, I was told in some of these community meetings, the fresh water, which we all learned in school, Michigan is surrounded by fresh water. I think we have, I don't know if it's one fifth of the fresh water of the whole world. It ain't going to last forever. So other places run out. That water is the new oil. The same way some of these organizations and all organizations not black, we have all groups of people and organizations. They said that they're going to control us the same way they control the people in the Middle East with their oil. They will use fresh water is the next oil. So we sitting on valuable land and valuable water. So every neighborhood might not get fixed up. But as they progressed, this city is going to be what they say. It is going to come back. It's already uh, before coronavirus. Some It was like the in the top 10 of places that you take a vacation to is the city of Detroit. You see signs in other cities saying, come on to Detroit. And you see a lot of people have moved here. You might not see them, but they're here. And they in neighborhoods that they never went in before. Neighborhoods that we gave up on. They buy houses that we wouldn't look at. They not scared to walk out at night. They got their dogs. They got their babies walking up and down the street. And we sitting there letting these houses go. And it'll be a neighborhood where pretty soon you can't even afford to buy a house. So we have to stop being afraid and get together. I know a lot of times they have a lot more funding than we do. So that's one challenge for us. How do we find the dollars to do some of the things that they've done? Remember, Midtown was, uh, what was Midtown before now? It was not a place anybody wanted to go, especially after dark. Now it was you the dumps. <laughs> right. They called it like a cast quarter. Yeah, yeah. That's yes, the they did. It was the dumps. And they moved them homeless people right on up out of there. And even yep. the people who lived in already lived in cast quarter and in decent homes, they did not like that they were taking over. But they have been. So if you can flip one neighborhood. You can flip any neighborhood as long as you got the money and the resources. And if our ancestors, before they put that 375 downtown, that was black bottom. It was self-sufficient. People always look at the Middle East community. I live right out next to Dearborn. They are self-sufficient. They use their money for their businesses. They turn their money over in their communities and they support each other in business. We was doing that long before they got here. But y'all won't remember because you too young. 375 was intentionally put through there to destroy Black Bottom and the self-sufficiency of Black folks. They learned how to uh, borrow from each other. They borrowed money. They couldn't get money from the bank. They borrowed money from the number man, the illegal after-hour joint man. They built up that community. And those were done, I found out a few years ago, the same thing that they did to get people out of Black Bottom, and they took their property under ultimate uh, intimate domain. 
They did that in 160 black communities across the United States. They just move up every time. I know y'all saw this video from this young lady, Kimberly Jones, doing this, this protest. If you haven't, look her up. And she talks about this, how they bombed Tulsa, Oklahoma. We had our own Black Wall Street. They, they killed so many people in Kansas and burnt down. And like they say, we ain't you y'all taught us how to loot and riot. We didn't y'all taught us. You looted us from the time you came over here, one of them said. You looted us and you looted the Indians. But even that, you learn from the positive things they can do and what we used to do. Get your dollars together, because this country about green. They just think it's about black and white. It's about green. You get your money together, you get in with a group of people you can trust, and you move forward. Now, Dan Gilbert want to take 375 and fill it back in. And that will become his property. And it's next to downtown. But remember, learn your history. Learn where you came from. Like I said, if people who came from slavery in two generations sent their children to college, and a mass, we was the, the city of Detroit had more housing um, homeowners than any other city in the United States. That was done on the back of those auto factories. Our people came up here and worked in them factories and obtained all of this, a beautiful city without an education. Some of them couldn't write their name, but they made sure we went to college. We went to school. So it's our time. Something happened in between that. We need to re get back on track so that we leave a legacy for our children and grandchildren and that you're secure as women. You are young women. You should be working on getting financially secure, but we have to learn those things because nobody taught us. I didn't know. I didn't. I never knew how much value money was. I always had enough, but that's all I had, enough. Enough to the next check came. But it's time and y'all have resources where you can learn how to save and invest your dollars and buy property. My uncle once told us, and we didn't think about it because Detroit was beautiful. We didn't have all these vacant lots. He used to say, anytime you see a piece of land, buy it. Because one day somebody might want that land and that can turn into money. Well, now we know that we could have bought Detroit 20 years ago. You could have bought downtown for 10 cents. We can't get down there to save nothing. Okay. So remember that. But that ain't the only parts of the city that's good. It's some good areas in this city that other people would love to have. Hold on to it. Don't sell nothing you have in the city of Detroit because it is going to be worth something. Now, Ms. Long, I call you the queen of resources, and, and you keep, you know, using that word throughout this interview, resources, resources, resources. And uh, with resources, you have power, and of course, knowledge is power. Can you share some of those resources, or um, how do you find those resources? Okay, now, we, we do have a Facebook page, the Greenway Heritage Conservancy, and I do want to call my people out, because I would be remiss if I didn't, because they work too hard. That's Sherry Burton, Kathy Green, and LaMonda Matthews, and Kenny 
Lawman. I don't know how I forgot your name, Kenny, but Kenny Lawman. We are, we started this Greenway Heritage Conservancy. We do have a Facebook page. We ask that you go on the page because LaMonda is the one, not me. LaMonda keeps us on track, social media and any, all technology. She puts every resource she can find on that page. So that's a good uh, tool to use. Again, like I said, the City of Detroit website, State of Michigan website, um, United Way, 211. Wayne Metro, they have wonderful programs right now because they, these organizations also receive money through their stimulus package. And it's a lot of... Uh, a lot of resources there. Uh, some of the things that they have available at Wayne Metro, you know, people have, have been having no water for quite a while. Water shut off. You can get your water turned on now. It's called a water restart program. All you got to do is pay $25 and $25 a month. They do this. They don't care how much your bill was, how much you owe, who live in the house. They want to get everybody's water turned on because of coronavirus. We have to maintain a place to be able to wash your hands and be sanitary. So you call Wayne Metro. No, you go online, Wayne Metro, W-A-Y-N-E-M-E-T-R-O dot org. And you will see a listing of all the available resources that they have. They have, they have money to pay for funeral expenses. They will pay your lights, gas, and water bill. It do not have to be in shut-off status. They have a program for um, taxes, property taxes. They have a program for, wait a minute, I got the paper here. That uh, notes probably can't even find them. They have... But they have a lot of resources on that page. And what they did is increase the income limit. Everything is not low income. They increase the income limit. An example is a family of four can make up to $52,000 and still qualify. And also they have an emergency plumbing program because if you have not had water, um, they want to come out. They have to look to make sure your meter is still intact. They're not coming to look and check your house, but they do need to get in to make sure that the meter and the pipes are good enough to turn the water back on. They have an emergency plumbing program that pays up to, I think, $1,500 to help with that in case it is a problem with your plumbing. And you do not have to be the owner. They were doing this for people that was renting those properties. So I would say, look at their website. They also do, uh, we have a, we just started the fourth Friday of every month. We have a food distribution day at Unity Baptist Church, 7,500 retirement. It's from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. You don't have to get out your car. It, you pop your trunk or tell them to put it in the back seat. And I mean, they give out a really nice, assortment of things. Anything from a food that's non-perishable to some perishable items, um, fresh vegetables. They give out household cleaning products, uh, female products, and it's all free. You don't even have to get out the car. But if you don't have a car, you still can walk up. 
So they don't just do it in my community. The Greenway, along with Wayne Metro and our city district manager is Eva Torres. And our district, I mean, our council person is council member Lopez. We all came together with the church. We were so thankful that the church said yes, because we needed a location. One of the issues in our community, we don't have any schools. So I know the DPS was passing out food, but we don't have a, a school in this community. We don't have a community center. So it's like a desert over here. And the one market we had, it burned a few months ago. So we kept asking, can somebody bring food over here? See, we didn't have any experience, but we just kept calling people. And they said, yes, it was a tremendous success. The first one we had was last month. The one for this month is on June 26. They gave food to over 400 people. And it was really, I, they bring their own volunteers. That's Wayne Metro and the city of Detroit. So I implore you, please come up to Unity. It does not matter where you live. If you can use the food, bring it. But there's lots of food distribution throughout the city. So if it's not in your area or you can't get here, just call your district manager, call your council person, or call United Way at 211. Or you can go on the city's website and it will tell you where all the food distribution places are. Um, so we also um, have. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Um, I do want to ask you and Tyne a question. As far as what do you think the key components to community building, uh, what do you think the key components are to community building? Go ahead, Tone. I'll, I'll let you Thank talk. You running my mouth. <laughs> my, yeah, my phone about to go dead, too. Um, the, the key components, I think, in community building is being visible. Um, you you can't do anything if, if they don't know who you are. If you they don't see you doing something in the community, if it's just walking, riding a bike, going door to door, baking uh, homemade cookies, you know you have to um, you have to be touchable. Even though I know we're in the pandemic and oh, we uh, lost her. We lost her. Oh. She's right. You have to be you have to be visible, but you have to have a passion. You have to care. You start by caring. I care about where I live. I care about the people in my community. They don't have to know my name, but I care. So she right. We can't hear you, Tom. Uh oh, we can't hear you, Tom. I'm sorry. Oh, you know this computer stuff. You know I don't like this computer <laughs> stuff. We can't hear you now. We can't hear you now. <laughs> and it's getting dark. It's getting dark in my room. Jesus, help me. <laughs> <laughs> But um, yeah, I think that they have to see you. Um, you have to be visible. And when you're seen, then you can be heard. And, and, and you have to be approachable. And you have to be, I don't know, um, you have to let your light shine so that people will feel comfortable in what you have to say. And that, that, that's a key component to community. Yep. Okay, what about you, uh, Ms. Long? What are the key components to community building to you? I agree. You have to be willing to do the work. 
I think when you are passionate, somebody once told me that when I was interviewing at the state, I didn't know them. I was very nervous. I hadn't ever uh, interviewed. I, the state just used to give you a job if you passed the test and you was in a particular band. But I had to do this interview and I didn't know the people. But later, people, they let you see your packet. After It was three people interviewing me and I had never worked with any of them. And everybody else pulled their packet. I, I was blessed. God blessed me because I didn't even know to want to get a promotion. I went in, like I said, on my way to leave out and God said, no, I'm going to leave you here and I'm going to open doors so that you can be promoted. But when I read my packet, the person said the reason they really was impressed with me because I was passionate about what I was saying. And when you're passionate, you don't have to remember. So when you're out in the community and they know that you are passionate about it and that you try your best, they know you can't do everything. But if you try your best, then they begin to have some faith in you. And when they develop faith, then they want to do something if they could see some result. And always remember to tell people, I'm not perfect, but I'll try. And also that you have more power in numbers. And people have forgotten that. It makes a difference when you call your council people. It makes a difference when you call the mayor's office. It makes a difference. So once people know that you care and that you're passionate, I think it, humor helps a lot. When you can laugh, always helps to feed people. That was the state was good at that too. As long as I fed y'all, y'all. Hey, you happy. fed us good, Miss Long. You fed. I was like, I ain't bring lunch. I was waiting for that corned beef, which I still don't know the recipe to that corned beef. Have y'all ever had a corned beef where it's like kind of? I can't even explain this corned beef, y'all. It's like I wish I could tell y'all how she made it and what it tastes like. I ain't never tasted no corned beef like this in my whole entire life. That that peach cobbler and that uh, tell your kids they gonna have to learn learn how to cook that too. Now they, they almost got, they did pretty good for your birthday party. I'm not going to tell the story, but uh, yeah. They know, but Ingrid would never tell you she know. But <laughs> anyway, um, one of the components, even of that, I think this big component that people forget about, and it's just my own opinion. God created us out of love. If you take away everything else, if we weren't hustling to try to work or try to have a family or trying to buy this, and try, if it was all of us is seeking to be loved and we seeking to give love, we full of love. But what happens sometimes we love the wrong way. We get stepped on, we get hurt. So we pull back. But we all it's all about love. And if you could get to people and they know that you care enough about them and you dis you display that kind of love and love goes a long way. It And I this verse, I mean, we all know or have read or heard about and everybody don't have to be religious, but most people are spiritual in some way. It's the scripture that's the the commandment that says love thy neighbor as thyself i think as women we sometimes love everybody else and we forget to love ourselves and we take it as being selfish and once i read in this book the psychologist wrote 
he, he wrote about that. He said, now, how you going to love your neighbor right if you ain't never learned how to love you? And once you learn how to love you, you won't accept everything that's really not love, but we put up with. And that go with males and females. So if you, district, if you display love, people see that when you genuine. Now, that don't mean you're going to have to watch some people. Everybody ain't lovable. But you can always display your love. So that's one thing going out in the community. I love the people I have met. I have met some wonderful people that live in my community. Some of them was here. I know Ms. Lockridge. She was actually uh, working at the school. My husband was in elementary school and she was his first employer. He worked in her classroom while he was in school. And she's still in the neighborhood. I went to school with her daughter. And you reconnect with the people because sometimes you forget the people, some of the people still in the neighborhood. So it's just been a joy to reach out and, and, and see some of the people that are still in the community. And now it's our turn to do for them what they did for us. And they see that love. And they help keep you motivated. I saw, it's a lot of other ones. I'm not going to name all the names because I might miss somebody. But I want to say thank you to um, the past president and the current president and the president emeritus of the Midwest Civic Council Block Clubs. I want to say thank you to Miss Claudia, who believed in me and kept pushing me, but also tells me, don't overwork yourself because you will make yourself sick. Miss Johnson, Mr. Miss, Mr. and Mrs. Coates, Miss Culvers, all of these people have been so encouraging along the way. And me learning how to be part of a block club, how to organize, how to go out. I can't leave out Mr. and Mrs. Leverett. You always need a house in the community that you can just go to and feel like you at home. And I thank you. You always open that door. You know, I don't need nothing. I don't have to bring nothing. I just feel like I'm at home. And I really appreciate that. And that's what we have to find out. It's still these safe places in our communities and in our neighborhoods. And so we have to be out there. Like she said, you be social. You say hello to people. You thank them, you show love, you show some laughter. And I think that's the beginning of community building. Amen. Um, when I think of it, I see your reflection. And I just want to thank you for your encouragement and your motivation and for being who you are. I mean, because um, I say, when you on time, y'all keep it real. You never meet a stranger. You always make people feel welcome no matter what. And a lot of times, like you said earlier, we don't know each other in our community, but people like you just make a community a warmer and better place to live. So I thank you for the work that you do. I thank God that we were allowed to cross paths. And just, you know, I pray your strength and that you continue to keep doing the work that you do because it is appreciated and needed in the city of Detroit. So thank you so much, Ms. Long. Thank you. One other thing about community building. Sometimes y'all don't, I know y'all think I'll be joking. One thing at work, what we did, and we built communities at work. 
you had to do some fun activities. So I'm looking forward to after coronavirus, I need some hustle lessons. That was my exercise. <laughs> I need to get moving again. And maybe that's some of the things we could do in the community because people don't, if you don't have no community center, you got to make your own center. Yeah. So we got to figure out ways to help because the young people in our community, sometimes they never escape these communities. They've never been on vacation. They never been out of town. And then you got the seniors who need a gathering place. We need gathering places. So maybe that's something I'll do as a challenge. How to find a gathering place in our community where people can come together. And then we can help bridge that gap. The younger people can teach us seniors and seasoned people how to use all this technology and do a couple dance moves. And we could teach them some of this old school stuff, like how to say hello, how to lift your head up from that phone, how to play a game. How to make they a sweet potato? How to make a, a sweet potato pie and a peach cobbler? Yeah, yeah. I do. I will do that. I will teach that. If we have a gathering place, I will show y'all how to make a peach cobbler and how to make a sweet potato pie. But I won't tell you is that recipe for that corned beef. Corned beef, I already, I already. Because that's that. the only recipe that was not mine. My father-in-law gave me that recipe, so I won't just have to dishonor him, his children will kill me and my children. I don't want that to happen. <laughs> so I will feed you the corned beef, but I can't give you that recipe. But I will give you the recipe to anything else. Amen. But because they mine. So that's I'm a chat I'll put that challenge out. If we get a space, we will have some cooking lessons. Amen. And we will have some hustle lessons. Amen. All right, before we close out, anything you would like to add? Any additional resources? Um, you dropped so many nuggets. Any additional nuggets um, that you would like to share before we close out? One thing is, don't be afraid to talk to each other. We all wear a mask. Behind that mask is the real person. We're afraid to, that everybody else is doing all right but we not. And there must be something wrong with us. So in this time also, and it's a, uh, I would like for you to go, if you can, on Councilperson Lopez's Facebook page. What we are, have not talked about during COVID and on this, people are suffering with some anxieties and mental issues. We are afraid to say we got something wrong with us. Or that we, we think we're not really crazy, but I think in my own experience, I, I felt that way too until I had to, to reach out when my sister forced me to reach out or she said she was going to call the people to come get me. And I, I believed her, didn't know that she said, you need to see a mental health specialist. It was a traumatic time in my life. And after I reached out finally and found a, a wonderful person, a psychologist, it changed my life and let me know I'm not perfect and that if I can get help when I have a physical condition, why can't I reach out when I have a mental, some mental issues? When what I really found out is all of us is crazy to some degree. We just don't realize, it, but we all got some issues. So um, 
podcast is having um uh wait a minute i got it right here she's having a session tomorrow saturday june 13 2020 time is 11 a.m go on her website i mean on her facebook page to see if you can find it and possibly on the greenway heritage site it'll give you the link as a zoom link and this is to work on our the, the person is saying their work is to demystify healing we often taught and made to feel that healing is something that is external and expensive with healing by choice we honor the ways black indigenous and people of color have been finding ways to heal for generations but also know that there are resources for mental health services check the detroit health department again united way 211 and don't attach any shame to it because some days i wake up there's been a whole new change for us i can't fight something i can't see i drive everybody in the house crazy with a mat they better have a mask one of them tell me you the mask police you better have gloves on i had to wipe off these groceries because i'm in that age group and I, it's easy if I could fight, my, if I could see my enemy, but when you can't see it and it's so small and it is devastating, our community, our black community, our brown community. So we need to take care of ourselves. So even your mental health, please check it out. And there is no shame because the next person, they've been in there They've been a little anxious about what's going on and we need to help each other and find help to help our help ourselves mentally. We can be so busy helping other people, helping our community and we're breaking down in the process. And right. uh, sometimes we're going to say we're going to pray about it and pray that it go away. But, you know, it's nothing wrong with seeking mental health like you stated because i've been to counseling and it, it helped tremendously um so that is so true and like you stated call 211 for additional resources and um just reach out when you need help and don't be ashamed of that as well so while you're building the community don't forget to build yourself and love yourself as well very true right. it's, it's a scripture if you take the time to read it god knew that we was going to have all these emotions if you look in Ephesians, he tells you be anxious for nothing. Well, if, if you weren't gonna get anxious, he didn't have to tell you that. So read that scripture. Also, look at look at the twenty third Psalm. My mother in law once told me this. She read this also. We take medicine for everything else, but we don't take our spiritual medicine when we need it if you read the 23rd psalm don't memorize it she told me take that like it's a dose of medicine if you had to read it five times a day just read it read each verse and you see how god is with us in these times of trouble when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death you're gonna be fearful He's with you. So look at these scriptures and the promises of God and stand on them. You have to find your own relationship with God. 
Church is where you worship and fellowship. God is with you all the time. So you, you need to make sure if you want a good friend, you got to be a good friend. God is not here for you to just put on the shelf until you think he's going to be your Santa Claus or he's going to help you. He want to be your friend all the time and you need him. Stand on his promises. Find which scripture is talking to you and read it to help you through. Because it's going to be times when it's hard, but it's going to be a lot of up times. And the up times, we seem to forget about God. Take your time out to sit with him, just you and him. You don't have to have no formal prayer. You just talk to him. And, and he's sitting right there waiting to hear you. So I just encourage you. That's some of the ways that you can get through when you're feeling anxious. It has been times and situations in my life where I couldn't even open the Bible. I was fearful. I didn't want to go to sleep because I was afraid I, I was going to die before I wake up. Then when I woke up, I worry about I'm going to die when I go to sleep all day. I would take that Bible and put it on my chest. I was grieving and didn't know what grief was because it was my first experience. But holding that Bible at night relaxed me enough to go to sleep. So you find whatever way you have to, to get through your emotional feelings, your feelings of anxiety, your fear. We are just human. And God made all those emotions. Don't feel bad about it. I can't hear you. Not only are you a community builder, community activist, uh -oh. a caterer, now you're a preacher. So you wear many, many hats. Okay. I wasn't ready for that. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> you're welcome. Um, so as we close out, again, I just want to thank you for all you do. Thank you for taking the time out today and join us on Issues of Life, the podcast. And any closing remarks or words before you... Um, you know, lead us. On I just thank I, th I thank you for asking me, and I thank you for our friendship. I thank you for our relationship, and I thank you and and Tom for always being there, always including me, and I really appreciate it. And we need to just take time to remember we do have relationships, and sometimes this has forced us sometimes to pick a phone up and call and say hello, um, do a well check on somebody, on your neighbor. You don't have to go on the porch. You just look out to make sure they're all right. Um, if you don't see something going on, then maybe you have to call. You have neighborhood police officers that might have to do a well check for you. But just remember, we all connect. We are all connected in some way. And let's we're going to keep that connection because we go back since you was eight. Eight. <laughs> Eight years old. <laughs> and Tone told me once, we're going to always be family. It don't matter, Ms. Long. We're going to be family. So, and she's right. She's Amen. right. 
I just want to again um, say you are what support look like. It's one thing to say, oh, I'll be there or, you know, I I, I got you, but you truly need it. So I just want to say, I don't want you know, I could be a crybaby, so I'm going to hurry up and get off of here. But um, okay. <laughs> I just want to say, when you say, I got you, that's what you need. I got you. So thank you for coming to the Black History programs. Thank you for coming to any type of, you know, event that we have. You're there. And even when you um, are not allowed to be there because you like to travel too, and you know sometimes you, you're out of town. Um, you always send your love, so I love you, Miss Long. Thank you so much. Thank I you love you too. Thank you for everything. All right. Until next time. Um, I'll Thank be, you. I'll be seeing you again. We'll be talking soon because we gotta learn okay. to do some hustles and we gotta learn how to make that uh peach cobbler yeah. and sweet potato pie. All right. Right. Okay. Bye, everybody. Thank you. See you later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.